Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, I am joined by our first female guest. I know, it's been about 20 episodes, and finally, I am here with IFBB Pro Callie Youngstrom. We're talking about getting shredded, contest prep, bodybuilding, nutrition, and you got it, women's health. Let's get right into this conversation, guys, because we have a lot of myths that we need to debunk. Here's my conversation with IFBB Pro, Callie Youngstrom. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, I am joined by IFBB Pro and Nutrition Wizard, Kelly Youngstrom. What's going on, Kelly? Hi, not much. How are you? I am doing good, and I am excited because we are just talking off air, and I realized that after 18 episodes, you are the first female coach that we've had on Strength Doc Podcast. That's awesome. Well, and apparently I'm a nutrition wizard, so <laughs> I feel very excited and honored to be the first female. That's exciting. It's something that has just uh, blown my mind because our listenership and our readership over on drjohnrussin.com is around 40% female engagement. So we need to start giving my readers, my listeners what they need, which is the best in the business, uh, people like yourself that have a lot of experience, not only training yourself, but your clients in a highly uh, female atmosphere. Thank you. Yeah, well, and I think that's awesome. Like if you have 40% females, it just goes to show how much knowledge you have and, you know, you're attracting that demographic, you know, just because you provide so much. So that's huge. I think, you know, I'm trying to look back and see what actually draws people to our site and the podcast. But I think females are just like sick and tired of the bullshit myths that are just around the industry because it seems like the last 30 years, there's just been so much crap that has just infiltrated the female fitness industry. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the more almost the well, the more popular it becomes, it's almost a double edged sword. It's great. There's more girls in the gym. And, you know, now it's like girls actually go to the gym. It's not just a place for the men to be. But with that, you know, there's so many more theories and, you know, everyone has their own opinion. So more to sift through, which I think is challenging. I mean, just coming down to it, uh, 10 years ago, say, it was just getting into sports performance and females were really starting to train in that endeavor, especially in athletics, athletic performance. And I think that's kind of translated into our general society where, you know, definitely men and women are wanting to train not only for the aesthetic standpoint, but in North America, just the health and wellness standpoint too of body composition, uh, being a little bit leaner, a little bit stronger, and not or orthopedically breaking down from some of these issues. But 
I mean, I train in a commercial gym multiple times a week with my wife. Uh, we're on the same training program. We have been for three years now. But it's almost like looked down upon from everyone else that we see on a daily basis in the gym. They're always like, how do you guys train on the same program? It's like you and this 100-pound, 5-foot female on the <laughs> same program. Like, how does that work? Like, in your experience, do you, do you see a lot of difference between – you know, fitness programming for a female versus a male? Well, I think that there's like a huge generation gap in it. And I think like, you know, the more new trainers and like, you know, you and me, we have similar theories and which I would obviously think is the correct, <laughs> yeah, the correct scientific understanding of the, you know, there's no need to have different programs. But, you know, I think there's like a more old school school of thought, even from couples who I see training in the gym who are, you know, 50 years old and they're training hard and they know what they're doing. But I think there's like a gap between our theories potentially still like they're in the mindset, outdated potentially mindset that, you know, females need to be doing the higher rep, like more aerobic workout versus what you know you and I are doing like hypertrophy focused like lots of variety and low rep ranges and heavy lifts and stuff like that so I definitely think there's you know a distance there oh for sure and you know you knocked it out because I was going to bring up the myth of if you want to tone your muscles you have to lift light weights and do it for ultra high rep schemes like, is there anything that's less true than that for building muscle and toning the muscle, quote unquote? Yeah, well, I'm just like, your muscle doesn't know if you're a male or female. <laughs> and the hormones, that's the thing people forget. Like, the natural hormones you have as a male versus a female are always going to be where you know your top potential in. So you can only get so big as a female because physiologically, it's just not possible you know, with the hormones you have to really go beyond a certain point, naturally, obviously. Now, those hormones that you're referring to, uh, most likely the, the testosterone level in males compared to females, uh, I've read in multiple studies around 10 times higher in males just naturally. You know, that may be a little bit different now because our society is just suffering from, you know, the low T epidemic. But I think that does uh, affect both males and females because, Obviously, a big part of enhancing your body composition as a female is enhancing your hormones, even though they are uh, a tad bit lower, those um, anabolic hormones, so to say, as compared to the males. Yeah, I think that the us girls really have like the double whammy because not only do you have the low testosterone, then you have these high estrogen levels and estrogen heavy areas which are the problem areas that everybody complains about and wants to spot target. But, you know, when you think about it from a biological standpoint, we're not built to be figure competitors, you know, and that's what's so challenging about, like, my sport is your body, especially as a woman, doesn't want to be at these low body fat levels. You're designed to be able to procreate and hold babies and, you know, be healthy and that's not necessarily what you see when you're looking at the, you know, fitness models and physique models online that are now becoming like the goal body, which is not the general average woman, you know? Oh, no way. And I would almost argue that, you know, if you take anything in sport 
to the nth degree, whether it be bodybuilding, figure, uh, Ironman, triathlons, even uh, you know Olympic weightlifting, you're probably healthier than the average person, but it really takes a lot of focus and energy just to make sure that you're just not running your general health down into the dumpster you know, with what you're doing with body composition and trying to increase uh, your lean muscle mass. Oh, for sure. And I think, I think there's a tipping point, you know, when it comes to health and training, whether it's for like a high, you know, level sport or bodybuilding, there's a tipping point to which you're overdoing it because it's probably necessary to get to where you want to be and be the best, but you know, where it's diminishing returns at one point, essentially in terms of health, you know, and like at the end of a prep for me, I'm the first to say like, not to like be a fear monger or anything like to scare people away from the sport, but at the level which I want to take it, there's definitely a give and take at the end, I would say to health, but you know, I'm educated and I do everything I can to try and, you know, mitigate any negative effects. Yeah. And guys uh, listening, it's important to remember that Callie is literally one of the best competitors in the world. So she is doing this at an ultra high level that the average person could really never, ever achieve. But just from what she's doing uh, from a health and wellness standpoint, on top of being at this elite level, it's really good to hear about some of this stuff, you know, directly from Callie because a lot of people can not really see themselves as, you know, being up there at single digit body fat on a stage, but, you know, physiology is physiology, health is health, and learning how to mitigate some of the risks when you're in uh, somewhat of a risky situation is one of the best learning methods. But Kelly, you, uh, you touched upon something before, which is using the ultra high rep ranges. Now, when you're training, obviously you're looking, you're looking to put on muscle, decrease your body fat. Are you using any of the light weights and going ultra high rep ranges on anything in your programming? I do. I kind of like, I'll be honest, I've played, I've trained consistently now for like, you know, going on four years and I find it's hard to figure out exactly like what works for you because you almost need to change one variable at a time to find like the optimum program for you. But so I kind of do like a combination. So I like to start my programs like I'll do kind of a start with a strength movement normally like a compound movement and I'll hit like a low rep range just you know pure strength. So for example last night I started with squats doing just three sets of three so like kind of a power lifter style so I like that to get the strength and then from there I move into higher volume and I mostly stick around like eight to ten reps to try and like stay around a hypertrophy range but then I do like to do like some good kind of pump work at the end and especially on smaller muscle groups um, or even if I want to really isolate something like you know for me in figure I think like medial delts, like the side of your shoulder is such an important look. You want to have that nice cap. So I really want to like do everything to fatigue that muscle and make sure I've had a good workout. So I'll work through kind of all the rep ranges there. And I usually do end with like some 12 to 15 rep stuff, but I probably never go over 15 reps unless it's like a warm up. 
<laughs> so you answered, yes, I do use the high rep ranges, <laughs> but then you said, you know, I only go up to about 15, which is awesome. And your is structure, that that, that... yeah, that's pretty high, I guess. You know, 15 is pretty brutal. I, mean, I hear some girls saying like they're, you know, 25 reps and I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's cardio. Like that's silly to me. Yeah. You know, like I structure uh, many of the physique based programs that I do for my clients around kind of that same hybrid model of the strength hypertrophy. And I think there's a time and a place for maintaining, you know, the foundational movement patterns, your hip hinges, like your deadlifts, your squats, your pushes, your pulls in the uppers, and then, you know, a little bit of direct core work with strength movement. But if your goal is looking sexy, getting lean and maximizing your muscle mass, then why wouldn't you be working within, you know, the eight to 15 rep range that, you know, from the last 20 years, that's what science has shown to be the most advantageous for muscle growth. But, you know, there, uh, a couple months ago, there was a great research paper put out comparing the 10, 20 and 30 RMs uh, to each other in multiple different exercises for muscle growth and strength. And when pushed to the nth degree, uh, the 10, 20, and 30 looked very, very similar in the way that it was able to build a muscle. But the biggest thing I see is when people get over like that 15 or 20 reps, they go way too light, first of all. And second of all, they lose focus and the intent, the, that mind-muscle connection on the movement itself. So it's like, all right, you get 8 to 10 really good reps in, and then you just start half-assing the rest of them. And really... In actuality, that's like an 8 to 10 RM. Like, that's all it is, and you just did it with half the weight that you should be doing it at. So I think it takes a special person to really go in and push themselves to the limit in those higher rep ranges. But that study was interesting because I've used uh, up to 50 reps, but it was more like the finishers that you're talking about with the metabolic stress and the metabolic fatigue on top of um, some mechanical stress that you worked on earlier in the training session just to kind of drain the last bit of energy and mechanical tension out of the muscles themselves. But what do you think about um, you know the ultra-high metabolic stresses through the tissues? I mean, <laughs> like as far as like you're talking like 30 reps and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think so it's hard like for me personally, I don't touch that unless like I don't ever do hit. I don't think it's be it's the most beneficial towards my goals. I will implement it with clients. Um a lot of my clients, like I would say, you know, half of my clients are general fitness clients and weight loss clients and I'm really passionate about helping those people. And so like functional movement and body weight movement I will implement with a lot of my clients I would be more likely than to do high reps like if they're at home and they don't have equipment and stuff yeah then high reps just because you know we need to get that fatigue and you know 10 body weight squats isn't going to do it um but I don't know I'm not a high rep girl I think like it it leads to breakdown and I do think that um mentally yeah you're not focused like I was even saying uh, to my boyfriend during our training last night that doing just the three sets of three squats was so easy mentally because you didn't have to work 
through the point of like, okay, I'm, I'm burning and I'm fatigued and I want to stop, but I know I can do more and really pushing yourself to failure mentally. When you're doing like the lower rep ranges, you know, and even like the eight to 10, you know, I think a lot easier when you've hit full failure versus when you're just deciding like, okay, I've done 20 reps and it hurts. Like, I'm not going to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a big difference between like a mechanical failure and then mind failure when it comes to rep ranges. And I, I absolutely agree that a vast majority of the people, 95% of the people walking the earth, they don't have the, the training capacity mentally to push themselves to the limit of getting the most out of those high rep ranges. And even though it is hard on the central nervous system to go super heavy in those low rep ranges, those power to strength, uh, those have to be the foundations because there's no masking strength. Strength is really the foundation of everything that you're going to do if you want to, you know, build a strong and functional physique. Yeah. And I like to, it's part of it for me and, you know, I'm sure listeners who are training every day consistently and, you know, if you've been training for three years, like you got to mix it up and not be bored. And I find like when I'm doing just purely bodybuilding, you know, hypertrophy, just sticking in that like 10 to 12, like 8 to 10 range all the time, kind of doing this similar movements repetitively, I get bored because it's not, you know, that challenging, you know, you're slowly increasing your weights and, you know, pushing yourself higher in your reps a little bit. But I like throwing in some of those, you know, lower, like really low rep ranges. Like I do lots of five sets of fives, like powerlifting style, because then you can really focus on, you know, pushing yourself to hit new PRs. And that's really fun for me and motivating. So I start with that. And then I feel like the rest of my workout is, you know, the hard part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there is something about when you're moving towards physique goals, trying to get in and working on different capacities too. So having your strength go linear with your figure is a big thing because, you know, looking in the mirror every day, it's very, very hard to differentiate, you know, the way that you look, even on a week by week basis. You know, people like you that get into the cuts and get ready for prep, you can definitely see it. You know, we, I watch you on Instagram almost every day and it's almost like you can see the changes from, but for the average person, and they look in the mirror and they're like, eh, kind of looks the same. But if you can see, you know, if you linearly periodize your programs, your strength can really jump very, very quickly. And that can go hand in hand with um, future hypertrophy gains. Oh, yeah. And I think too, like to be paying attention to it, I think a lot of people don't pay enough attention to, you know, where their sets and reps are at what weights. And then you don't realize if you're plateauing and why. You know, so it's good to be cognizant. And I'm really big, like, I think I would always say, like, with most of my general clients, 50% of what we're doing is, you know, working on mental and emotional health and growth, too. And so I think it's so important to focus on, I always call them non-scale variables and, you know, like, non, just not on just the physique itself and the look, but, you know, you're not only improving your health and you're improving your fitness and you look better, but you're getting stronger, which I think is so empowering. And especially for women in the gym. And, you know, when you're starting off training and, you know, you start getting more confidence in the gym, plus the weights are going up like that's such an exciting feeling. Yeah. And it always goes back to when people do get stronger, you know, men and females, you, you almost look at it as, 
hey, if I get too strong, I'm going to get too big. And it's been one of those myths that have been just like a vampire lie for the last couple of decades <laughs> is females too afraid to lift heavy, like in those strength ranges that we were just talking about because they don't want to get quote unquote bulky. No, I think that's hilarious. I always, when people say that, I'm like, I have been trying to get what I'd probably like the general person would call bulky for four <laughs> years every single day. And it just doesn't happen that easily. <laughs> you know, every, I always tell people like literally since I started competing, like every single day for the last almost four years, my goal has been to put on size. And I would say that most people, when they just see me like walking around, you know, when I'm not contest shredded and stuff, you wouldn't think that I'm too bulky. Yeah, it's very, very hard because muscle does not give bulk. You know, that's a misconception. Muscle does not get bulky itself. The muscle structure is the muscle structure. What makes people bulky is <laughs> fat and adipose tissue on top of that muscle. Yeah, I will say actually that's funny because it's so true. And so when like a, a bodybuilder, for example, does like a full-on bulk off-season, which I'm not necessarily recommending, but like even myself, I would do what I consider more close to like a bulk the last this last off season for a few months because I really wanted to grow and it looks almost like that level of body fat I feel like looks more it looks more dramatic when you have a muscle base because you know you already have that density underneath and then you're adding more volume to that versus you know if you don't have that pre-existing muscle base but yeah on its own that's it's so funny. Women are like, okay, so this is what I want to look like. And they'll give me like their detail or give me a picture, but I don't want to get too bulky. And then, you know, if you actually know what those girls are doing for their program to look like that, it's like squats and deadlifts. And, you know, they're training like a bodybuilder in those rep ranges. And so it's completely counterintuitive. Yeah. And especially like with our society, we love, um, putting an emphasis on the booty we love having the six packs but the most streamlined way in terms of training only to get there is by working within the strength and hypertrophy ranges on the big muscle groups the squats the hip hinges um glute thrusts like everything that would be counterintuitive like you said you know you're not trying to get that way but in actuality your goal is totally off because in order to get what you want to get you may have to train like you don't think you should be training. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's getting better. I do think, um, you know, it's becoming more common knowledge. And I even see it in the gym, which makes me excited. And I think, I feel like fitness is very like beginning, like a growing trend right now, which I think is awesome. Like if something that's good for you and, you know, healthy and self-motivating can be trendy. But I think, you know, with all the social media, it's opening um, more women's eyes up to the differences in training and that it, you know, you're not going to get bulky and this is actually the most efficient way. Because that's what kills me is I never want to see someone who I know is working hard and investing their time and energy, but just not necessarily in the right way. Oh, that kills me. That's one of the biggest pet peeves that I have. Like, I never understand, like, I can understand if people aren't, like, crazy about health and fitness like you and I are, 
But I think if you are stepping foot in the gym every day and spending an hour plus in the gym, like why not just like invest a little bit of your mental acuity to try to like do something that's going to better you towards a goal, whether that help be health based or composition based. Like if you're just hopping on the elliptical for an hour every single day and your body never changes and your health metrics never change, like don't even go anymore. I, don't, I just don't understand it. Yeah, I know. I always think that's funny. Like when I'm so I was at the gym this morning, 630 a.m. for cardio. I see the same group of people in there at 630 every day and they're doing the same things and they look the same as they've looked for the past two years. And I am still think it's awesome. Like you're going in there, you know, it's heart healthy to be doing the cardio and stuff. But if you're going to spend an hour in there anyways, and you could just make a few small changes and pay a little bit more attention to your program and maybe track, you know, some of your lifts and then you make 20% more progress, like why not? Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a little bit more uh, energy, mental focus to go in and, you know, work on like a compound movement like a squat or a deadlift. But not everyone has to do that kind of stuff. Just getting the ball rolling and getting in and trying to master a couple movements that will help your overall health, wellness, orthopedic goals for the long term and just supplementing in what you're comfortable on doing and maybe just get 20 to 30% of stuff that maybe pushes your boundaries a tiny bit. It just gets the ball rolling. And I think if you are going to be in there, like, shit, if you're on cardio every day for an hour, like, bring your iPhone and, like, start reading some fitness stuff you'll have a new workout within a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah listen to the john russin podcast <laughs> exactly yeah that's <laughs> you know what it's funny every time that i do cardio i'm always on a different podcast um these days my cardio looks like walking the dogs multiple times a day maybe like for 15 or 20 minutes but once or twice a week i'll have like a, a cardio regeneration day where i'm actually on the machines in the gym but everyone i'm always sitting there like kind of like Hmm, hmm, like kind of talking to myself and people are like, what is this guy listening to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and I think too, it's it's easier to like justify making time for it. Like I feel like a, peop a lot of people are like, you know, I don't have time to do weights and then do cardio or, you know, even just one or the other. But if you're listening to something or even reading something or watching something like, you know, fitness related while you're in there or, you know, learning, then you know, it's two birds, one stone. It's totally worth your time. Yeah. Now, on the cardio topic, what's your thoughts on uh, needing cardio to be lean or to achieve a lower body fat percentage? I think everyone's different, obviously. I will say that I need cardio and I need a lot of it, apparently, to get lean. Um, like this prep, I tried to start off really moderate with both my nutrition and my cardio. So, you know, like you start my goal for myself and all my clients, like anyone wanting to get lean, I always say the goal as a coach is to have the person doing as little cardio as possible and eating as many calories as possible while getting shredded. For some people, that could be 3,000 calories and no cardio. For some people, that could be, you know, 1,500 calories and an hour of cardio. It's just everyone's different. For my physique, I've found I need cardio to get lean and I actually usually end up doing fasted cardio too. Now, with the fasted cardio, there's been a couple studies coming out in the last two years kind of trying to debunk it, but then there's <laughs> other uh, studies saying that, yes, it works. But you look at every single guy that is shredded, every single woman that's stepping up on stage in a bikini, 
most everybody is doing fasted cardio, right? Well, this is interesting. You probably know way more about the actual like new studies coming out than I do. Um, I don't know, like I even like hit versus steady state. I've always just leaned towards steady state. Um, and then fasted, I just think makes, first of all, I just think it makes sense, you know, based on like glycogen stores and that whole thing. But the results, that's the thing, like just anecdotally, I feel like I can, I can tell a difference if my cardio is fasted versus not. In terms of what? In terms of fat loss. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree because, uh, you know, two times a week in my current program, I'm on the FHT, the Functional Hypertrophy Training Program right now. Uh, we use like a recovery-based day, but it is done first day, first thing in the morning, and it utilizes fasted cardio with BCAAs during. And it's a combination between uh, a little bit of hit just to get the heart rate variation. So maybe like 10 to 15 minutes of a true hit with uh, trying to get the biggest variance possible at the heart rate. So trying to peak it out and then recovering as quickly as possible. But then following up that very, very short hit session by some steady state in the low to moderate uh, intensity range. It's, it seems to be working very, very well for everyone that I've put on it. But I have a lot of uh, kickback on some clients that they have to eat breakfast, right? And even if they go to the gym first thing in the morning, it's like they have to have something in their stomachs before they leave the house. Have you dealt with that too? Most of my, I mean, I only implement fasted cardio normally if it's a contest prep client. And they're usually like, they'll just do what I say. I generally don't implement fasted cardio with my general weight loss clients but I will get them to do it post-workout to kind of try and essentially replicate like a fasted state. Um, but just simply because I don't want to, you know, a, a day-to-day person doing two sessions. So, because I don't normally have like a just cardio day in my programs. Yeah. But I definitely have, I like some people want no volume in their stomach before they train. Some people like want a big meal before they train. Yeah, it's just working with the individual client. I actually feel better, I think, doing cardio on an empty stomach as long as you don't have blood sugar issues. And I think the BCAAs usually help for me at least. Yeah, I do too. I have a pretty good experience with uh, even using intermittent fasting and doing uh, fasted training, even hypertrophy-based training, for about two years, from like 2010 to 2012. That's all I did with uh, my nutritional programming as it interacted with my training. And the results were pretty good, but the last two years, uh, it's been a little bit more strategic what I place into uh, the pre-training routine for my clients in terms of nutrition and then how it matches up with either their cardio or their weight training. So I think there's uh, there's a lot of science to be had in that subject because you know the old science says you know you gotta you gotta get calories in within that 30 minute workout window after to start rebuilding and recover the recovery process but I'm seeing more and more just with our anecdotal uh, study on our clients that they're getting a lot out of having some great nutrition in their systems when they go into train, especially resistance training, and then during the training as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're. Are you utilizing like lots of intra-workout carbs? Uh, I do for some. Uh, if it's 
if it's purely a weight loss client, I will not. But for hypertrophy-based clients, uh, it's something that I start to introduce once everything else is on point nutrition-wise. Yeah, that's something I'd really like to try in one of my off-seasons. I've never utilized intra-workout carbs um, with some of my bigger like bodybuilder guys who have like insane metabolisms and they have the calories, you know, we'll use them. But for me, I've never tried and I'd love to see how it benefited my training actually. That's something I want to play around with next off-season. It's a, there's a huge battle like in our industry over that because, you know, a lot of the, the big supplement brands and the big websites are all preaching this stuff, but people always take it with a grain of salt because, you know, that's how they make money. But I see more and more of uh, really elite competitors, whether they be professional athletes or people stepping up on stage, uh, utilizing these methods with really good success. And, you know, I know just from my own body, I do feel better if I am utilizing intra-workout carbohydrates, especially if the workouts run any more than about 75 minutes at a time, which the average person's not going to do. But I always look at supplements as being maybe like 5% of the equation. So if you can take care of the 95% below that, maybe you can get a little bit of a, a, a juice up off of those uh, supplementation and the way that you use it. But you know, in terms of cardio, do you, do you view it as uh, a nutritional program or do you view it more as training? So when you pro, this is a tough question. That's a good question. Yeah. So when you program, do you program cardio with your nutrition programs, or do you program cardio to interact with your training, or both? <laughs> well, <laughs> basically both, I would say, because most of my clients do get training and nutrition from me. Um, I feel like it's really hard to recommend proper cardio to someone if so. Say like let's say just say everyone the goal is fat loss, like that we're talking about. Um, it's really hard for me to program training for someone if I'm not controlling their diet, right? Because I don't know what their deficit is already. Yeah. Um, that's why I like to, and I, that's very rare that I have a client that I'm kind of not, not working on both nutrition and training. Um, but with, yeah, most of my programs, I do the nutrition. So I know where their calories are at and then I do the training and I, I list the cardio obviously with the training, but I kind of consider it all as one cohesive <laughs> unit and uh, yeah the, it adjusts together like I adjust calories and then I adjust cardio and try and find the sweet spot for everyone based on you know what their body wants for fat loss now, now what are your thoughts on having uh, say this is super simple but just for the sake of debate here if you take in 500 calories um, of any type of macronutrient and you expel 500 calories on the elliptical is that a break-even point or wh where do you view the calories and the macro breakdowns and how your body responds to the exercise as opposed to uh, the calories that you take in that may be the same do they just negate each other I mean that's like a very it seems like a simple question but <laughs> it's not a simple question exactly I mean if anybody like who knows me I don't do if it fits your macros and I mean, I, I hate even using the word if it's your macros because there's so many, well, like there's so many, like I get, I, I don't want people to like hate on me. I completely understand that most people who follow IIFYM still do implement like meal timing and eat clean foods and stuff. But like when I control diets for myself and clients, I keep into mind like digestion time of certain macronutrients, you know, like obviously fats are going to digest slower. Like you know, if you 
are having fats before your workout, that's going to digest differently in your system than if you're having carbs and proteins, you know, especially like a quick digesting protein source. Um, and then some people's bodies respond differently. Like, so let's just say for me as an example, I mean, to answer your question shortly, no, it doesn't. <laughs> because even though the science says it should, it just doesn't, bodies just don't respond all the time. And, you know, my prep right now is a prime example. I've, I've cut down and for sure I'm in a, a 500 calorie deficit every day, if not way higher than that. And still and, functioning on a podcast. Awesome. Yeah, so far. Well, we'll see. Once I listen to it later, who knows what I'll think. <laughs> but I haven't lost a pound for two weeks, and I should be losing two pounds a week. So no. <laughs> it's and interesting. So, yeah, that's interesting because uh, going back to what we were talking about before, uh, hormones play a huge portion of weight loss and body composition. Yeah, so there's just too many variables. you know. In an ideal world, that would be nice, but... It's not that easy. And like I just use like calorie counts and stuff like that as a relative adjustment point. And I think that's what people need to like keep in mind. Like if you're doing a cardio session and it says you're burning 500 calories, which, you know, that's probably not actually accurate. But let's, you know, if the treadmill says you burn 500 calories and you're losing a pound every week, then that's good to know. And if you plateau, then maybe you need to increase that calorie burn. Yeah. With a... Uh... With some of my clients, what we end up doing their first month of training with me and doing their nutrition with me is that we break them down to absolutely minimal cardio for the first couple of weeks just because I want to see what the scale does, uh, what the mirror test does, and see where our baseline is to start the process of whether they want to gain muscle or lose fat. And it's always a tough like couple of weeks because people feel guilty that they're not doing cardio. They're like, oh, I'm used to two and a half hours of cardio a week and I'm down to nothing. You know, I'm, I'm going to gain all this fat. And most of the time, uh, if the nutritional program is on point and, you know, we do our research behind it and give pretty good recommendations in terms of what they're eating, when they're eating it, and, uh, you know, the partitions between the macronutrients, I, I think that then placing in 10 minutes 15 minutes here or there, it just expedites the process, especially when it comes to composition. Yeah, I totally agree. And baseline is the exact word that I use too. Like that's, I think I, most competitors do that like in their off season, you try and bring your cardio down. You know, I always try and bring a few sessions in for all my clients just for heart health, but then I try and for myself, get my cardio down to zero right before I start prep. Because, you know, if you're doing an hour of cardio every day, that becomes your baseline. And then you have to add on to that. Exactly. So, yeah, to start at zero, I completely agree with you. I think that's the best way to do it. And a lot of people don't realize that they're actually doing their metabolism a disservice and they're completely overdoing it. And that by pulling back, you actually can get the results you want sometimes. Yeah, very true. And, and you said it, you know, the new baseline that if you're doing, you know, an hour, an hour of cardio every single day, that's your starting point. But, you know, to try, try to find, especially when you're trying to get to elite level of leanness. And for some people, that's not the goal, but just to just start the process off the right way and not plateau off too quickly. Uh, 
just trying to control as many variables as possible. And I think you said it before in the podcast, only changing one at a time to see what the response is. Because it's like having a gun and only six bullets in the chambers. As soon as you shoot off all six, you have no more bullets left and then you're screwed. So, you know, you have to protect um, all the different variables that you have in your training and your nutrition and use them strategically, especially if, uh, you know, longevity and health, leanness and wellness are your goals. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's one of the things with like crash diets and, you know, intense training programs and stuff. You know, yeah, it gets you. That's the thing. Everyone's so anxious to get results. You know, you've been doing this for how many years? I've been doing this for how many years? And we're still not where we want to be. But we're being patient so that you can change those variables one at a time. And then you actually know what variable is having what effect. Plus, you have variables left as tools in your arsenal for later on. But, you know, people, I have clients, lots of clients come to me after, you know, 12 week crash diets. They're not losing weight, they're gaining weight. Plus, they're only eating 1,200 calories and they're doing an hour of cardio a day. So that's a real challenge to be the coach because, okay, now where do you go from there? You can't go down with calories and you can't go up for cardio. That's ridiculous. So there's now even more time we need to spend on your program just to get your baseline back to a normal level. Oh, I I see it all the time too is I think that's the number one thing that holds most people back when it comes to weight loss, body composition goals is the need for the process to be expedited. It's like, all right, we're given this three weeks. If I don't lose 15 pounds, I'm out. Or, you know, if I don't gain six pounds of lean mass in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go to the next program. But it's a process. Uh, manipulating your body is a process, right? And the I always tell people this, and I feel like it's hard to say without sounding harsh, but, you know, how many years did it put take you to put on the weight that you're trying to lose? Oh, so, yeah. Okay, it took you five years to put on your 20 pounds, and now you're expecting to take it off in three months. Like, listen to that in your head and tell me that doesn't sound a little bit ridiculous. (laughs) It is, but it doesn't sound harsh whatsoever because Uh that's the reality of it. And if your goal is only to lose weight for, you know, a short term period of time, like go in the sauna, like don't eat for two days. Like that's fine. You can lose that weight. But if it's longevity, you know, there's a reason why a vast majority of weight loss, weight loss patients and clients regain the weight and then some. Yeah. And I always tell people like, you know, if you're coming to me and you're anxious to lose weight right away, I can make that happen. It's not rocket science to crash diet someone and get pounds to drop, but that's not what we're here for because this is the program that is going to be your lifestyle and sustainable and the 20, 40, 60 pounds that you're never going to gain back, you know, so you have to be patient with it. And I think, you know, I get it. Everyone's anxious and I'm even even I am, you know, bad for it. Everyone gets excited. But, you know, I have a client, uh, for example, a client yesterday who was upset because in two weeks, the scales only changed two pounds, but she's down 10 inches, you know, but you only, you're focusing only on the scale. And I'm like, but 10 inches off your body, like that's, that's substantial. Oh, 10 inches. That's a game changer. And at that point, how much does a scale matter? Exactly. It's just so funny how, you know, we all have our one thing we focus on, like whether it's the scale or a certain like area on your body that that's like your, you need to see that change to think you're having success. 
But yeah, so one that's the thing. I I love working with like just my general fitness clients and I really try and change everybody's outlook on how they assess themselves in their health and fitness and I think that's one of the biggest things. I always have clients answer a questionnaire each week like on how things went. And my favorite question every week is getting responses back on non-scale variables and successes. So, you know, were things fitting better? Did you feel better? Was your energy better? Was your strength up? Like, And people don't realize when they answer the first questions, which are, you know, what are your measurements? What's your weight? And, you know, if they plateaued, you know, they're feeling down and then they get to the non-scale variable question and they're like, oh, but like, you know, these pants fit that didn't fit before. And, you know, my energy was up, my mood was better. Like that's a huge success. And that's the thing. It's so much more than just the scale and the physique, you know? Oh yeah. I I love that term that you use too, is the non-scale variables. I might have to steal that from you. (laughs) It's the best umbrella term that I have found. No, that's awesome because the non-scale variables are the things, those behavioral modifications, those change in habits, uh, the change in the way that you feel and function that are going to be able to have you sustaining that you know, scale count if you even look at it for the long term. Yeah, exactly. And that's what my biggest goal is always to be giving people the tools to you know implement this lifestyle on their own. I always say like I never want a client to become feel dependent and reliant on me, you know, for accountability. So I try and almost like wean them off of needing me for check-ins and accountability so that to the point where, you know, they're completely successful implementing this on their own. And that's part of the problem with like, you know, diet trends and stuff. Usually you're purchasing something and because these companies want you to be reliant on them, that's not giving you tools to know how to implement successfully on your own. And I think the best coaches out there in any demographic in the fitness industry, you're educators on top of being in-person coaches or you know managing uh, your clients. You are educating them to give them the tools to really go and do this for the rest of their lives when they're away from you. So you know you can always give somebody fish to eat, but you if you teach them the fish, then they're going to be set for life. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I even have clients who, because most of my programs, we start off on doing 12 weeks where you check in every week. That's my most popular program is that's how it's set up. Um, And most of the time, people then will transition to a program where for 12 weeks, they check in just once every four weeks. And sometimes I even encourage people not to renew the weekly check-in program. Like sometimes people want to check in with me every week for, you know, six months. And I'll recommend if I think they're ready to kind of go on their own and be successful, I'll recommend that they transition to, you know, the program where it's actually just every four weeks checking in, which, you know, that's less, it's a lower price program, obviously, but you know, my goal is to make people successful. Like that's my number one goal before my finances. But you're doing it the right way. And a vast majority of the fitness industry, they're just not doing it the right way. It's just a, a check in a dollar amount. And that's all it really is. And it's been getting, I don't know if it's worse than it was a couple of years ago. But I mean, just go through uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and you see so much crap out there and the misguided information and then just the selling of, you know, image on top of everything, even though, you know, there's no credentials behind your name. There's no expertise in the industry. It's like, oh, 
I looked awesome in this Instagram picture, like flexing my bicep and I'm an online trainer right now, you know, come get the workout from me. And then you see him, you're like hundred thousand followers. Like what the uh-huh. hell? Like it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's dangerous. It is. Well, and I always say the best way I recently made a YouTube video and it's like 10 things to consider before competing. But I think a lot of them can be considered just, you know, before implementing like a serious even coaching or fitness routine. And I think the one of the best ways to pick a coach is to not only talk to existing clients and return clients, but to talk about clients who are no longer with that coach. You know, you need to hear both sides of the story because when you're on Instagram being bombarded with their transformation photos, like, okay, that's amazing, but are those people still working with you and are they still successful and are they still living that lifestyle now that they're not with you? I think that's big too. And again, it's, (laughs) it's, did they get, I always look at it two ways. Like, does the person look the part and do they practice what they preach? That's first. Second is are they actually getting results for clients based on like some kind of credential, whether it's an academic credential or if you want to consider 20 years of just crushing it with clients and being a game changer in the industry, you know, that's a credential too. But you have to have both of those things together. Yes, you can be really, really, really studious and have every credential behind the back of your name and, you know, look like absolute shit. Like there's going to be those outliers like that. And then they're going to be outliers that really look the part and have no knowledge whatsoever but they kind of pull it together you can have outliers there but for the vast majority of people you got to synergize the two things you know practicing what you're preaching getting results for your clients but also having some sort of background where what you're saying is not against the principles of exercise science and dietetics (laughs) yeah I think that's something that kills me and I mean you know, everybody talks about this, but you know, you do one bodybuilding show and all of a sudden you're a coach, you know, (laughs) I think what, what gave me the confidence to start, you know, thinking that I actually had enough skill to start taking clients on, you know, and it's been a few years now, but was that I didn't use a coach for my first three, three years. You know, I was like, if I can't use my personal training knowledge and my nutrition background knowledge to bring a package to stage that's impressive on my own without the help of a coach, you know, that's a bad sign. So like, let's do this with no help, figure it out as you go, educate yourself, and it forces you to learn. Like you just gotta read everything you can get your hands on. And I think that's what, you know, makes me a good coach now is that I do have the education and then I also have the firsthand experience, you know, not only on myself, you know, for the past three or four years now, but then now with clients too. So. You know, it gives me an insight that when there's other people who, okay, you look great, but you've always used a coach, where's your personal knowledge? Like, it's not there, and it just makes me so concerned for their clients. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, mastering your own body, like, that's a requisite of doing anything in our industry. I don't care if you're a physical therapist or a physique competitor. If you can't master your own body and what you need to become, uh, you know, lean, muscular, whatever your goal is then why are you telling other people to do things when literally you live with yourself every single day and you still haven't seen results after decades? Like, it makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah. And especially, like, just from, like, a safety and understanding standpoint, you know, I always tell people, like, I wouldn't recommend something that I've not implemented myself. And I 
I experiment all the time. Like my last off season, I experimented doing a keto diet, but doing powerlifting training to see, you know, could I still build strength while doing an essentially no carb diet, you know, and I've experimented with all different kinds of diets and now I'm comfortable recommending them to clients because I know what the result's going to be. You know, I wouldn't ever recommend a keto diet to someone if I'd never done it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh <laughs> It's like the physical therapist trying to critique somebody's squat when they haven't squatted in 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if, for example, you're training with your own, the program you developed, you know, like you know it works and you're living it and that's what makes you successful. I've always done that. It's one of the things that if I haven't done the workout, I would never give a workout to a client or it's gotten to the point now where if I haven't done a 12 to 16 week program and seen the benefit for not only me, but I'll always beta test it on about 10 or 15 people that are usually very fit anyway. So if they can get results off of it, you know, it's even harder for these people to get results. So if they can really do something good with it in terms of their health and body comp, then I know it's something for people. But, you know, it took me eight years to actually publish an entire program. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, but we finally, the last, uh, I think last Thanksgiving was the first program that I published. And it was awesome because it was like three years of knowledge into one program using the best of all to give it into that. And then this latest one, which is more popular than anything I've ever seen on our website for for instance, was uh, the functional hypertrophy training program, which is a 12-week program that my wife and I have been using the model for 18 months now. So we've seen everything from that model and we feel confident every single question that we get. It's You don't even have to hesitate because, you oh, I've, I've been there before. I know exactly what happened with this. And then having those beta tested people too, uh, it really kind of brings everything full circle and you have a lot of answers to some common questions that everyone's going to face eventually. Yeah, well, and I mean, I'm sure that, you know, way earlier you would have been prepared and had the knowledge to do a successful program and sell it, you know, like eight years ago, I'm sure you could have. But I just appreciate and respect the fact that you didn't rush and you're like so confident in knowing it's going to be successful versus these one-off programs that people are just like throwing, uh, throwing together to make a buck, you know. Anyone could put a program together. And the funny thing about it is that, you know, the vast majority of people, they equate a good program with it just being hard, getting your heart rate up and making you sweat. But they don't equate it with actual results because, uh, you know, it does take 12, 16, 20 weeks to achieve some dramatic change in body composition. And most people drop off the map at two weeks. So, you know, in order to see the big changes, uh, the big market changes in health and wellness and body comp, you have to give it the time, but also you have to understand that it's a process, not just a quick fix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all, and I do think like 12 weeks I think is should be the minimum. And, and that's the thing, it's hard as a coach too when you see clients getting frustrated because it just takes so much patience. And when, you know, you live a lifestyle of fitness. I know how long it takes to get results and I'm in the same boat like you just have to put in the time and the results will come and especially if you're on a good program like your programs developed to get results, you know? And so as long as you're investing the time, they'll come. Yeah, I hope so, right? 
<laughs> now, Kelly, uh, where can people find more about you, your consulting, uh, your coaching, everything like that? Um, my website is the easiest. It's kyfitness.ca. Um, I'm on YouTube now. I'm doing lots of YouTube videos and vlogs, and I'm always excited to answer questions on YouTube, so you can just search Callie Youngstrom for that. Um, and I love Instagram. As you know, I'm always on Instagram, oh, yeah. which is uh, IFBB Pro KY Fit. And then my Facebook is just Callie Youngstrom, so you can find me there too. Yeah, I highly recommend the Instagram page, guys. Like, you can literally, like, live Callie's life with her over there because I feel like <laughs> you get multiple updates a day and you can see the physique changes, but also you do a really good job of uh, understanding and expressing why you're doing some stuff and the changes. And it's not just, like, throwing up pictures or workouts here and there, but you actually have some why behind what you do. Thanks. Yeah, I like to really be transparent and I feel like so many like competitors and trainers and coaches, they think that they have all these secrets and they're not willing to share them. You know, just because you do like you could do exactly what I'm doing and you're not going to get the same results because you don't have my body and you don't have my genetics and, you know, my hormonal levels, everything like it's just so different. And so I think that the more people I can help and if I'm sharing information and I think people are just interested too in like how a contest prep progresses and, you know, sharing like the ups and downs of a contest prep, I just think it's fun to share and it's like a you know such a supportive community back and forth people are supporting me too so I love it man we could talk all day about you know having people being like oh this is my method I'm mean, not gonna show this anywhere because I'm gonna cash it out for a million dollars in 10 years like it's bullshit and like you said like you can watch every single like I think I put up a training video every single day but I still get a number of questions every day about what we're doing why we're doing it but by no means could people ever put all of the videos together and try to orchestrate their own program because one it wouldn't be for them and two you know it is definitely something about the execution and the details of a movement not the movement itself or even with the nutrition the same could be said yeah and I think too like it for you and your platform like to be so generous and sharing that information and like it shows how passionate you are about helping people and being in the industry for the right reason and that's what I think you know I hope for me too like I'm just so happy to try and help answer questions and share and one of the things that like challenges me most every day is you know my social media started to grow I want to be able to answer every single question and sometimes I just don't have time and I always want to be helping people so I feel bad if I can't get back to them you know so I think it's yeah if you're hiding too much it's not beneficial for you know you or the viewers yeah you always have to be confident in what you have as a coach as a professional and knowing that you know you have something special it's kind of the synergy between all of your past experiences together and knowing that it's always going to be something special as long as you keep that continuum going but Kelly, we've been on a little bit over time here, so I'm going to get you out of here. But thank you again so much for coming on. We're going to have to have you back after you dominate in your next competition, and I look forward to it. Oh, man, hope so. Hopefully I'll have some good news to report next time we talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm very honored, and I hope that um, some more great females are to follow. Yep. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> thanks, John. 
When it comes to training and nutrition, Callie is just such an encyclopedia of information, and I appreciate her coming on Strength Doc Podcast today, one of the best episodes yet. And guys, head over to iTunes, hit us up with a five-star review, and hopefully we're going to be driving this podcast up the charts and be getting better and better guests on every single damn week here on Strength Doc Podcast. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. John Russell.